Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from pop culture, and our own experiences about how to be happier. This week we'll talk about why you should have people over and about a possible challenge with the I cook, you clean approach to sharing chores. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, I wish I could have you over. Oh, that's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. Yes, Gretch, I love coming over to your apartment and drinking coffee in your kitchen. Yes. Oh, yeah. Now, Gretch, I have to mention that next week, the 10th anniversary edition of The Happiness Project is coming out. Yeah. And it's great for 2019 as you prepare for the new year to read The Happiness Project if you haven't already or reread it. Um, I know you have new material in it. Yeah, and the thing that's funny about The Happiness Project is a lot of people do want to read it in January and kind of go through it the year. I, I, You can do your own Happiness Project starting any time, and you can read the book at any time. But it is interesting. A lot of people seem to want to start reading it in January. So I wanted to make sure that the anniversary edition came out well before January. So, yeah, I'm so excited. It's exciting yes. to have it out in the world again. Yeah. Now, Elizabeth, um, before we go into our Try This at Home, we have updates in response to the person um, who was troubled by the fellow mm-hmm. passengers who were making noise in the quiet car. We heard from yes. many, many people following our discussion. Yeah. Now, several people suggested noise-canceling headphones. Yeah. For white noise, someone suggested the Ambient app. Mm-hmm. She said, you can debate the lack of manners or etiquette forever, but in the end, it's always easier to change ourselves rather than other people. That came from Joanna, and of course, that is very true. Yeah, that is very true. On the other hand, many people did argue that you should try to change other people, <laughs> Yes, um, including our friend Michael Melcher, who argued that people shouldn't get away with this. The quiet car should be respected, and you shouldn't have to go out of your way, uh, that others um, should be quiet. And it's interesting what several people suggested was to try to take the angle of, you know, I don't think that you realize that you've landed in the Mm. quiet car and assume and talk to them as if you are assuming that they don't realize they're in the quiet car. You're giving them the benefit of the doubt and that you think that it's obvious that they would be very happy to know that they're breaking the rules and they would be happy to know how they need to behave in order to be respecting the quiet car. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because if you don't travel a lot on yeah. trains, you might not even know there is such a thing. No, I bet a lot of people don't know there's a quiet car or they don't know what it means to be in the quiet car. Now, Fiona suggested an entirely different solution. She said, one day I had an epiphany. I realized I was more distracted by the rule breaking than the actual noise. The next time I went to the library, I tried sitting on the group work floor where people were watching TV, talking, laughing, and planning projects together. Guess what? I worked away for hours without paying any attention to any of them. (laughs) Noise continued unabated, but I was entirely focused on my writing. Problem solved. 
from then on, my personal rule was and is to never sit in the quiet car. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, I don't think this would work for everyone, but it definitely works for me. Like, I'm less distracted in a coffee shop where there's a lot of noise than I am when I go to my library where it's like the quiet floor and then every little pencil drop kind of shatters the yes. quiet of the room. It's, it's So I think this is like a completely different way. Don't sit in the quiet car and, just, and then just be in kind of a different mode in your head. Yes, I thought that was a brilliant solution. So thank you, Fiona. And Elizabeth, this week our Try This at Home tip is something that I know you really believe in, which is to have people over. Why do you think this is such an important thing to try? Yes. So Gretchen, um, this is like a central quest in my life is to have (laughs) people over more often. And I'm finally following through on that. Yeah. Here's what I realized. I had a light bulb moment where I realized if I'm not having people over, then I'm not going to be a center of things. Now, it's Mm. not that I need our house to be the center of the universe for school, um, which is where it mainly comes up. But I want to be a center, a place that people go and that they think of as a destination. Because what I also realized in having people over, it really helps build relationships. People just feel closer to you and like they know you better when they come over to your home. That's true. You know, and they really don't care what your house looks like. (laughs) I mean, and I think that's the hardest thing to accept. I mean, I know for years we didn't have people over because we felt like our house wasn't in a condition to have people over. Uh Uh-huh. Now, of course, we've redone it, and um, it's like, well, we need to have people over now. The whole point of renovating was to, you know, feel like we wanted to have people over. But, of course, now I realize in retrospect, everybody would have been fine coming over as it was. Right. Now, how did you realize that having people over was sort of this crucial step in forming relationships or becoming a center? What made you have that light bulb moment? Well, Scratch, I've always sort of had this feeling. It's something I've talked to you a lot about, the sort of nagging feeling of needing to have people over. But then I was with um, one of the moms in Jack's class who's had us over a lot. And she was like, Liz, you've never had us over. You need to have us over. If you don't have us over by October 1st, I'm not having you over anymore. (laughs) She she was joking, but she was also laying down the gauntlet. And it was also really clear that she wanted us to invite her over. Uh And I just realized, you know, it's really important that you reach out and invite people over. Yeah. And I told her, I said, I'm going to text you with multiple dates to choose from this week. And Mm -hmm. I did. And she chose one and they came over and we had a wonderful time. And I'm like, this is so important. Yeah. I feel so much more connected to the her family, even though we were already connected because we go to their house. But having them come to us just really built the connection. And I want to just go around having everybody over. So I've had people over. Not I'm not taking like a huge party, just, mm-hmm. you know, like a family here, a couple of families there. Had them over and I... Like, it, it's really changed my perspective. Contemporary scientists and ancient philosophers would agree that 
Uh, relationships are a key, maybe the most important key to happiness. And having people over, it does. It moves a relationship forward. It takes it to another level of intimacy, um, partly because they're just seeing a, more of your kind of who you are. And also by inviting them over, you're signaling, I want to be friends. We tend to like people better when we think they like us. And so one way you show people that you like them is you have them over. But I think this goes to the point about why energy matters to happiness, because the fact is, it takes a lot of emotional and mental and physical energy to have people over. It just does. It's like the planning, it's the texting, it's the cleaning up, it's the cleaning up after they leave, it's the food. It's, it just does take something out of you. And if you don't have energy, it just feels so overwhelming and draining. You just can't do it. Even if you know you would really enjoy it, it would make you happier in the long run. It can feel just overwhelming. And so you just keep putting it off and putting it off. And so this is where I think, like, if you work on your energy, then these other things become easier or even possible. And then you get the happiness boost from them. But so that's why energy is always a good step, because a lot of times these other things require energy in order to implement them. Because even if you say, like, oh, it'll be super, super casual it's still having people over. Well, a couple of things I've realized. Mom kept telling me if you just do it a few times, it'll, it'll get easier. <laughs> yes, you um, so <laughs> And it sort of started with New Year's Eve last year. I just yes. had a few people who were in town last minute. We said, hey, come over. Yeah. And that was kind of the launching pad. Mm. But the other thing is I have now have two different dinner options that I have discovered that I can order or pick up and easily put out because I'm just I'm not going to cook no. like it's just not going to happen. So no. what I'm doing is I'm searching for different dinner options or lunch options or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. So there's no decision fatigue. It's like, oh, if I have these people over, I'm going to do plan A or plan B or plan C. Now, one of the things you talked about your renovation, um, you did do the renovation thinking like, oh, we'll entertain more. But I always but sometimes like we have a very quirky apartment and I'm often like, well, I think one of the reasons I don't entertain more is because our apartment has all these quirky aspects to it. But then I'm like, eh, maybe it's just me and I'm blaming my apartment. And even if I had mm -hmm. a completely different sort of easy to entertain layout, I would still be the same. But you feel like the renovation did play a role? Yeah, I have to say I do because I ah. feel like we really designed it to be a house where you entertain. Yeah. Um, I've talked about our fire pit yeah. on the podcast. It's really nice to be able to eat dinner inside and then say, hey, let's go sit out by the fire pit and make s'mores and having a pool that's right there and the kids can go in the pool if there's kids. So it yeah. really is nice. But once again, I when I lived in New York in a studio apartment, yeah. people would come over to my place all the time. Yeah. You know, so I and it was really tiny. don't think it matters. It was tiny, 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 tiny. Yes. It was. And it I was... would have like 10 people there. <laughs> yeah. Like people would be sitting on my twin bed, yeah. you know, like yeah. three people. Yeah. So it really doesn't matter what your space is. I think it's all about intention. I mean, I know I'm thrilled when someone invites me yeah. over. I don't care what their house looks like. I don't care if they have dishes out on the counter. Yeah. Like or if it's I like don't care what they food. serve. Yeah. No. And so part of it is my own insecurity of feeling like people don't want to come over. And that, I think, is really something to look at if you're hesitating about having people over. Right. Um, I think for me, that was probably the biggest obstacle was it's really putting yourself out there socially. Yeah, it is. And that's scary. Yeah. Which is why it was great when my friend was like, you have to have me over. Yes. It totally took out the guesswork of whether or not she <laughs> wanted to come over. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, I will have you over. A happiness bully after my own heart. 
Well, you know, and here's another thing, because um, I also struggle with having people over, but I think I like, you are more aware of it and challenge yourself to do it more than I do. So I think you feel worse about it because you actually expect more from yourself, whereas I don't do it that much. But here's something that I do, and I think this is good for people who struggle to have people over, is have something that you do every year. And so there's no decision. It's not like, am I going to do this or mm. am I not? It's like every year I do this. So for me, so I'm in these three children's literature reading groups. So these are all adults who love children's literature. I'm in three of them. And I rarely host. We take turns hosting them. And I don't host that much. But in my mind, it's because I often am like, the def- like if there's ever a problem with scheduling or whatever, I'm always the backup. So I do a mm. lot of like organizing work and I'm the backup person, which I used to excuse me- myself from hosting as much as some other people do. But one thing I do do is every year I have a holiday party for all three groups together. The th- mm, three groups are very, big. they're very interested in each other and there's a lot of overlap. And so people are really eager to know more about the other groups and know the people in the other groups. And so it's like, I'm never like, ooh, should I have a party for the three groups? It's like I have to because I've had for 10 years I've had a holiday party. And then people are – it's like if you want to, there's no pressure. If you want to, you can bring a children's literature-themed dessert and people do the craziest things. Like somebody made golden snitches. Somebody made Mm -hmm. a cake that looked like the secret garden. There are all these amazing things. But for me, it's not a question of weather. It's just like pick a date. Yes. And that makes it easier for me because like you say, there's kind of a reluctance to put myself out there and to like do all of the work of having people over, even though I know how much people love it and how much I love it. So having a recurring thing, like even if it were something like we'll have people over for brunch once a week, once a month, or we're going to have people over for brunch every Halloween or whatever, it makes it less decisions. Now, Gretchen, I will say the next step in this, which I have not gotten to, the next evolution in having people over is for me to invite someone over who I want to have a friendship <gasps> with. Yes. So, so far, it's o- I've only invited over people who I really am friends with. I would consider them friends. So, I'm, you know, I'm very comfortable that they'll say yes to an invitation. But I have not yet invited over like someone, you know, I really like that person. I'd love to get to know them better. Let me invite them over. Yeah. I don't have the um, confidence for that yet. I'm working up toward it, trying to get over my insecurity. Um, So I'll give myself a gold star when I do that. I think this could be an item for your 19 for 2019. Yes, it sure should be. Uh, So let us know if you tried this at home and how having people over works for you. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email at podcastgretchenrubin.com, or go to the show notes for this episode, happiercast.com slash 192, to leave a comment or to get any information related to this episode. Coming up, I've got a happiness hack to propose, but first this break. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretchen, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. 
Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash happier. That's noom.com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. Okay, Elizabeth, you've got a happiness hack yourself. What is this hack that you've come up with? Yes, this came up very um, organically at work, and it's to have an audio book club. Oh, so not the traditional book club where everybody reads the same printed book, but this is everybody listens to the same book. Huh. Yes, and this is not an official book club we have at work, but I got the idea because I was reading this book, or I I say reading, I was listening to this book, Bad Blood about Theranos and Ah. Elizabeth Holmes. And I won't go on about it now, but it's an incredibly uh, fascinating book. Jamie was obsessed with this book. Yeah, so I was just all day, every day saying to people, you have to listen to this book. You have to listen to this book. You have to listen to this book. And then people started listening to it. And then, of course, (laughs) they were obsessed with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then we were having conversations about the book. Yeah. And so I realized, you know, when we're all... This is especially, I think, a good um, hack for L.A. because most people have at least a half hour commute. Or but there's a lot of places with long commutes like Atlanta. I mean, there's uh, sadly more and more people are joining the land of the bad commute. Yeah. And even in New York, you commute on the train. You still have can can listen. listen. And so everyone wants to read more and a way to read more is to listen to books. And so it's something that I'm trying to get more into. Um, And I just realized it was just kind of a fun and like less pressure than we're all going to read this book and talk about it Thursday night. Instead, we're just kind of all listening to the book at our own pace and chatting about it, you know, over lunch or whenever. And it's just like a nice thing to bond over, kind of like having an office TV show, which we've also discussed. Well, and I think one of the things that's nice about it, and I believe you, you guys talked about this at Happier in Hollywood, is like this kind of thing is good for like hierarchy because maybe there's somebody you're intimidated to talk to Mm. because they're just much more senior than you. But this is like a ground where everybody can be sort of talking animatedly together or for people who are more reserved and maybe don't jump into conversations. This gives them kind of a known topic. It's a good way to bring people together in a casual, natural way. And like you say, it's not even like, oh, do it by Thursday. This is just like, oh, we're all interested in this. It's just something we're all talking about. But it lets you enter into that conversation in a kind of structured, predictable way, which for some people I think makes it easier than just like a free-ranging, like everybody standing around in the office kitchen just chatting. Yes. So anyway, Audio Book Club, that's my hack. Audio Book Club. Yes, it's fantastic. Um, And now it's time for the Four Tendencies tip. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about with the Four Tendencies, you can take the quiz online. 1.7 million people have taken the quiz to find out if you are an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. I'm an upholder. Let's just an obliger. And you can find out what you are there and find out what this means. I have a whole book called The Four Tendencies. And, you know, we talk about the four tendencies tips. A lot of people email questions that are in the book. So if there's something that we haven't talked about in the podcast, it may be in the book because there's just like more room in the book to go into all the nuances of the four tendencies. But here was a great question that came from a listener related to the four tendencies. Yes. Kelly says, I listen to your podcast every week and I love your four tendencies book. 
My husband and I listened to it on a road trip and it really explained a lot about us. I'm an obliger and he is a rebel. I'm writing to you because I'm having an obliger issue. I work at a small business, which I love, but it makes my hours kind of weird. I usually don't go into work until 11 a.m. I have this wonderful time in the morning where I would really like to work on a side hustle. I started an Etsy shop a few months ago that has already had a few promising sales. Here is my issue. I feel like my side hustle is a personal item, so it will be the last thing I work on in the mornings. Whatever is on my to-do list for the week always gets priority. So I'll promise myself every week to set aside time, but that time always goes into something else, paying bills, housework, writing thank you notes, errands, etc. I feel guilty if I don't accomplish items that benefit, quote, the household, but I also feel bad for not working on something that I want to do. I've tried saying, okay, from eight to 10 is my time, but it never works. I just keep telling myself once I get done with my to-do list, then I can focus on me. But of course, the end of a to-do list never comes. My husband is super supportive of me taking time for myself and encourages me, but I just can't get over this block. Oh my gosh. I had, Common yes. issue. Oh, so, 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 so common. Um, Kelly is describing something that so many obligers say. So here is what I would say um, vehemently. Do not do things like try to put yourself first. Do not say from 8 to 10 o'clock is my time. Don't have your husband say you should take time for yourself. This does not work for obligers. Mm. This does not work for obligers because what is that? That is inner expectations. Mm-hmm. I need to put myself first is I need to meet an inner expectation. That does not work for obligers. Obligers respond to outer expectations. What Kelly needs to do or what any obliger in this situation needs to do is they need to create an architecture of outer accountability for the side hustle. Mm-hmm. Right? The side hustle isn't something that's an inner expectation. It has to come to her from the outside. You can create clients, customers, students. You might offer some people something for free so they're waiting for it because then that's a form of accountability. You could mm. work with a coach. A lot of people ha- work with coaches who help them have accountability, have deadlines, feel like, like they're re- accountable for somebody. Yes, I think accountability coaching is actually becoming quite the booming industry. No, absolutely, because what people realize is that that's what they need. They need accountability. And now some people can be accountable to something like an app, but a lot of people need accountability to an actual person. Now, I have my Better app, which is a free app. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. The Better app. And it's all about the four tendencies and happiness, and people have all kinds of discussions. But a big thing is it's people who form accountability groups, and they can be about anything. They can be kind of nonspecific, and everybody does whatever it is they need to do, or it's like people working on their PhD thesis, or people working on their novels, or like something like here, like side hustles, where people act as accountability partners for each other. I think it's better to be in a group than to just have a partner, unless it's a paid partner, because if it's just two Mm. people, if one person gets distracted or wanders away, then you've lost your accountability, so a group Mm. can be more stable. But here's another thing. She says, I can't accomplish items that don't benefit the household, right? So she feels Mm. like the household is a form of outer accountability, but the side hustle is not. So think about how what the side hustle is doing is, and you are accountable to the household. So it's like, if I make enough money on my side hustle, we can rent a house at the beach for a week. Or mm, um, if yes. I make enough money with my side hustle, that is when we will place, replace our outdated laptop. Mm. I need to make the money for that. Uh, the household doesn't yes. get this benefit unless I get far enough in my side hustle 
that I can do it. And so it's like, if I don't do what I'm doing, others will be disappointed. I'm accountable to others to deliver. Absolutely. And one point, Gretch, that you make, and this is so true for me, is don't expect your husband no. to be a good accountability no. source because a lot of time obligers, no. their spouse becomes like themselves. Yes. So it's not, it, you don't feel accountable to your spouse yes. because you've internalized your spouse. Yes. Yeah. No, which is very romantic, really. It's like, you're so close to me. You're like me and I'm going to ignore you just the way I would ignore me for outer accountability. It's better when the accountability comes further on the outside or some kind of abstract sense like the household. So anyway, I hope these are helpful for Kelly because I really do think this is a crucial thing that comes up for obligers. They often get a lot of bad advice from the other tendencies who are like, you just need to get clear on what you want and make yourself the priority. It's like, that doesn't work for obligers. Outer accountability, that is what works yeah. for obligers and it works great. So it's an easy problem to solve once you realize what the problem is, plug in outer accountability. So good luck, yeah. Kelly. Yeah, and one thing, Gretch, I just want to say is if her side hustle grows, it will become its own yes. outer accountability and this problem will completely go away. Yes. She just has to get over the hump. Yes. And listen to Side Hustle School, the podcast that's all yes. about start starting side hustles, Chris Gillivo's yes. daily podcast. Because like getting all those ideas yes. and feeling like I need to implement these things also will give you that sense of like this is an ongoing concern that I need to take care of. It demands things of me itself. Yes. Side Hustle School is a great inspiration. Excellent. So thank you, Kelly. And now it's time for a listener question. Remember, you can always email us a question or email us a voice memo uh, to podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Gretch, uh, this week's listener question also involves the four tendencies. Yay. Not surprised. <laughs> they come up quite often. Um, this is from Domenica. She says, I am a questioner and I just moved in with my boyfriend of a year. He happily took the quiz when I asked him to. We discovered he is a questioner also. Here's my dilemma. I just moved into his house and before that we both lived alone and had been happy with our own ways of doing things. We both like to cook and for the most part we share dinner responsibilities. Here's the problem. My boyfriend believes that when one of us cooks, the other person should clean up, do the dishes, put away leftovers, etc. A fairly common situation that I've heard of before. I strongly believe the opposite. If I come home from work and start cooking, I am more than happy to clean as I am preparing dinner. So by the time the food is plated, there is very little work and cleanup after that is a breeze. When my boyfriend cooks, however, he is often chopping and sauteing and boiling and baking and seemingly uses every <laughs> pan in the house, all left haphazardly on the counter for me to take care of. Here's the thing. I'm grateful when he cooks and happy to have dinner taken care of, but I want my day off to truly be my day off. I can't enjoy my dinner knowing that there's a lot of work to come in the form of dishes after we finish. I would much rather take turns entirely. Some days he cooks and clean, some days I cook and clean and leave it at that. That way we both get a few truly relaxing evenings a week. <laughs> So this is interesting. This is interesting. Okay, so can I make two initial points? One yeah. is, Domenica describes this as beliefs. This is his belief. This is her belief. I wouldn't call these beliefs. These are, th that gives them kind of a moral weight. These are preferences. Mm. This is just how you prefer to have a situation be organized. There's no, there's no belief to it. It's just, this is what you prefer. And why do we prefer what we prefer? Well, there is a very helpful term that comes out of the study of economics called moral hazard. And moral hazard is when someone, 
usually when it's used, it's like someone increases their exposure to risk because they know that someone else bears the cost of it. Like if you know that you're insured and somebody else is going to pay the cost of something, if something goes wrong, you're more willing to take that risk because you don't bear the cost of it. Mm. So a party behaves in a certain way because somebody else bears the cost if things go badly. So I think what you're seeing here is that he's like, awesome, if I cook, I don't have to worry about cleanup, right. and so why not use every pan, right? But if she's yes. thinking, well, if I cook, if I'm cleaning up, I'm going to minimize it as I go. Well, that's a good deal for him because it sounds like when it's his turn to clean up, it's not that hard. And so yes. this feels like a very, it's easy to see why he believes this is the way things should be done because it's working really well. And he may not even yes. be conscious of the difference because since he's not cleaning up after himself, he may not realize how burdensome it is. Because if you're not cleaning up after yourself, you don't realize what a nuisance it is to scrub out this pan or to wipe out this counter that's been covered with like flour dust or whatever. Um, so I think that's part of the situation. Now, if he's truly a questioner, if she explains this to him, he should understand rationally that this makes sense. That is a very interesting point because questioners do tend to respond to ideas of efficiency and also customization. The idea, I'm going to do what works for me. Um, the argument that like this is the right way to do it, this is the way people always do it, usually does not have weight for questioners. Um, they would respond to the idea of efficiency. And so I wonder if he really is a questioner because I, and, and if he is a questioner, I would really appeal to the idea of like efficiency and yeah. this is what works. And like, we don't have to do it this, just because other people do it. You cook, I clean. We can do it a different way because that's what works for us, which is I cook, I clean, you cook, you clean. Well, if it doesn't work, if you don't just explain it to him and he goes, oh yeah, that makes sense. And they have these two opposing viewpoints. Yes, yes. How do they reach, you know, compromise? Because there isn't really necessarily a compromise here. It's kind of one way or the other. Right, I mean, you do feel like you should point out to him how much work you're doing because it's very easy even a very fair person doesn't realize how much work others are mm. doing it's just and I, mm -hmm. I wrote a post one of my favorite posts i ever wrote is about the problems of shared work so i'll post a link to the problems of shared work one of the problems of shared work is that work that other people do seems easy it's the work mm. that we do that seems hard so yes. that's part of it but okay what if it's perfectly clear and he's still like i want to do it my way i think then the answer and this is part of shared work is if you don't want to do the work don't do it and that means accepting Aww. the risk that others won't do it. So you could just say, like, I'm going to clean that up after myself when I cook dinner, and I'm just going to bear the risk that maybe you won't cook dinner. Or maybe mm. you'll cook dinner and you'll leave a mess, and then it's going to be there for three days because I'm cleaning up after myself. I'm not cleaning up after you. If you choose to act a certain way, you have to accept the risk that others may respond in ways that you do not like. You can't control yeah. how they respond. Yeah, that seems like a risky proposition in terms of uh, household harmony. But this is the thing. If you don't want to do work, don't do it. Right. Because if you don't want to do work and you keep doing it and but kind of grousing right. about Nothing it. will change. Yeah, then people are just like, well, I'm willing to put up a certain amount of grousing in order to have it, have it basically a situation that I like. Well, they may take that deal even though you don't want that to be the deal. So really your only thing is to say, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. But it is, it's like, it could be a risk. Yeah, and Gretchen, if they truly just have these opposing viewpoints, I mean, they could just say, okay, month to month, they'll do it a different way. So in September, they take turns, you know, with the cooking and the cleaning. In October, whoever cooks cleans, and then maybe they can just see how it works out. Right. 
Or what they could do is you could sort of have an um, acceptable level of cleaning, and you could say, like, every you're entitled to half an hour of cleaning uh. if you cook, but if it's more than a half an hour or more than 10 minutes or whatever it is that you think is reasonable, then you have to do the rest because that would undercut the moral hazard because it's like... Oh, that makes sense. If you have triple the cleanup time... You can do that if you really want to make this recipe because maybe you really love to make these complicated recipes. And you're welcome to do that, but it's not like you're going to have infinite cleanup. But you get a certain amount of cleanup because you get the credit of having cooked. So, again, especially if there's two questioners, I would think that they would be very interested in coming up with customized efficient solutions. Mm. So maybe kind of look beyond just the standard deals to see can you find a way that it works for both of you Um to split this work. Yes, and do send an update. We want to hear. I know I'm dying to hear. Yes. (laughs) Coming up, Gretchen gives a gold star to her daughter, Eleanor. But first, this break. Okay, Elizabeth, it's time for demerits and gold stars. This is an even-numbered episode, so that means it's your turn to give a demerit. Yes. Okay, Gretchen, here is my demerit. Um, I have not been doing our family updates. So Mm. we have discussed on the podcast that mom had this great idea of sending very often updates. We usually put update in the subject line where you just email the family and say, oh, this week, you know, we, we saw this movie and, oh, Jack has a play at school on Wednesday and this is what's happening at work and just whatever mundane detail, yes. the temperature that day, you know, yeah. just to stay yeah. connected <laughs> yes. because what mom pointed out, and it's really true, is that staying in touch with these little mundane details of each other's lives really makes us more connected than talking once a week and trying to sort of explain everything that's going on. Yes. And I love getting updates and I had been really good about sending updates, but I don't think I've sent one in like at least six weeks because um, now I will say, I think a lot of this is because I am so slammed at work that I like truly am like struggling to just keep my head above water but I do then feel disconnected from everybody because I'm not sharing what's going on. No, I mean, the motto of, of update is it's okay to be boring and just like write yes. the most boring thing. But I know that feeling of like when there's just so much going on that, first of all, it never occurs to you. And then second of all, it just feels like I'll, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later when yes. things calm down and they just never calm down. Uh, but I think it's good to be aware that you want to bring it back. So like maybe you haven't mm. done it. It's like this is the point of the demerit. The demerit is to be a reminder Yes. This is important to me, so yes. now I want to do it. So, um, yes. good. Yeah. I have been sending an occasional photo. You at have. Least, so that helps. Yes. Photos are a good uh, stopgap measure, for sure. Yes, but I need to. So today I'll send an update. So you'll. I'm okay. I'll telling you, you now. I'll hold you accountable. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, Gretch, what is your gold star this week? Okay, this gold star goes to my daughter, Eleanor, my younger daughter. So um, as I've talked about in my 18 for 2018, I've wanted to do like up my Instagram game. And I've gotten better. I do a lot of stuff on Instagram. But there's all these like cool tricks and tips and everything that I never knew how to do. And then finally, I'm like, hey. I have, like, this teenager living in house with me. I'll make her coach me. And so now we've only done it for two weekends, but I really want to continue this. It's like each weekend I'm like, give me one thing. Like one weekend mm. she showed me polls. The other weekend she went over boomerang with me. And I'm like, because she's like, you could do this, you could do that. I'm like, I can't take it in. Just give me one thing. And then for the week, then I try to do it every day or almost every day just so that it become so I really get it. Because you know how when on technology people show you how to do a bunch of things and it seems yes. really obvious and easy. Yes. And then like 10 minutes later, you're like, Uh, What? 
So I'm like, let's take it step by step. And she really gets a kick out of it. Like, she's just getting into all this stuff herself. So I think she really likes being the kind of the mentor. Mm. And it is. So I've only done it two weeks. So maybe it's a little bit premature. It's a little bit premature for me to give myself credit. But I can definitely give Eleanor a gold star because she was super (laughs) cheerful and engaged and um, very patient with me. Um, So gold star to Eleanor. Oh, yay, Eleanor. Yay. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Have people over. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Cameron Drews. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. As always, you know what's coming. Please be sure to tell a friend about the podcast and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. Rate and review us. It really does help people discover the show. This week, the resources. Okay, so we talked about the fact that the Happiness Project 10th Anniversary Edition is coming out at the end of October. If you would like a book plate for yourself or if you plan to give the book as a gift to someone else and you want a personalized free book plate to put into the book as a way to make the gift more special... You can request that at any time. But if you would like it for the holidays, please do it early because it takes some time for me to like fulfill these and mail them out. This is U.S. and Canada only. I'm sorry because this is an actual physical thing that I'm going to mail to you. But please do it early because um, I always get very nervous as the holidays get closer about whether people are going to get their book plates Mm, in time. Um, So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Or you can just email me if you want. And then also the Moment of Happiness newsletter. Uh, if you have already subscribed to the monthly newsletter or if you want to update your subscriptions or you want to sign up for the Moment of Happiness daily quotation newsletter, if you go to GretchenRubin.com slash hashtag newsletter, um, it's very easy to sign up for whatever you want. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. <laughs>